0: That's Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wall. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, Swing so a light drive left field. That's a base hit. Profar is going to round third. He's going to head home. Call will throw it in toward third and hold Soto at second. RBI single Manny Machado. It's 2 0 Padres. And the pitch swung on. Shot to third. Franco has it. Falling down. Whips a throw and overthrows it into right field. Two runs will score on the play. Myers from third. Alfaro from second. Over to third goes Soto, and on at first is Machado. A sprawling play by Franco at third, and then rolling over, trying to make a throw to second from a difficult position. Threw it over the head of Cesar Hernandez into right field. And the Padres score two. They now lead six to nothing.
0: And welcome to Nash Chat for Monday, August 15, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, it was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast, when the book on the 2022 Nationals is written. And what a book that's going to be. Mark is working feverishly on that book. There should be a chapter on this game that the Nats played on Sunday afternoon. And the chapter should be called the Alex Call game. The Alex Call game, a game in which the Nats had as their leadoff batter, Alex Call who the Nats on Sunday morning called uh, recalled from AAA Rochester. Alex Call just got DFA'd by Cleveland. The Nats just claimed Alex Call off waivers from the Guardians on August 7th. And Alex Call on Sunday afternoon in Game 3 of a three-game series against the mighty San Diego Padres was the Nats' leadoff batter. Uh, Such is the state of the Nats' lineup right now. Uh, The Nats are in a tough spot from a roster composition standpoint. And the Nats on Sunday afternoon got shut out. A 6-0 loss to the Padres at Nationals Park. Nats end up losing two of the three games in the series, fall to a major league worst, 38-78 and 78 on the season. Mark, this was some Nats lineup on Sunday, man. Alex Call in the leadoff spot, Lane Thomas in the cleanup spot, Cesar Hernandez in the number five spot. Boy, I don't know that expectations were high going into the game, and so I don't know that anyone was too shocked by what ended up happening in the game.
2: No, not at all, Al. But first, this... Uh 2022 retrospective that you seem to think I'm working on. What's the audience for that? I know our listeners are loyal. They tune us in every day. Are they really going to buy a book about this season?
0: I know you can write, man. So I am expecting like Grant Rice type work from you in this book on the 2022 Nets. It will be a true truly special piece of literature, the 2022 Nets. We need a good title. I don't know if the title should just be like Manessis, but we got to come up with a good title for it. But yeah, the 2022 Nets: a story unlike any other.
2: Well, the problem would be I've already have to live through the season live. Then I'd have to relive it going back to rewatch games and look at old stories and interviews to put together a book. I don't know if I can take that after watching 162 in person this year.
0: Well, also, remember, we have to do the audio book, so you have to read the entire book so people can listen to it on their long car trips.
2: I'll let you do that, and you can do that in my voice. I think you're talented enough to pull that off. So I'll try. Look, the lineup they put out there today, they've had to cobble some things together this year, but this was to a new level, and... I don't know that Davey Martinez had a whole lot of other options. Luis Garcia is still hurt, dealing with a groin injury. We're going to talk about that because I think there could be some significant ramifications for that. Nelson Cruz, it's the day after a night game, a quick turnaround to a 12.05 start, and he's 42 years old, so maybe you give him the day off. Caber Ruiz caught the last two nights. You typically would give him... The next day off. And this is what they have against a really good pitcher in Blake Snell of the Padres. And I don't think anybody can be surprised at what the results were. If anything, you know, at least we didn't have one of those no hit bids like we've seen a few times here. They got that taken care of thanks to Joey One Bag singled in the first inning to take care of that and then singled again in the uh, sixth.
0: Speaking of Joey Four Bags, how about this? We were tipped off to this by a listener. Apparently, The nickname for Joey Manessis that was arrived at on this podcast was uh, coined by Mark. Joey Fourbags was utilized on Friday night's Apple TV Plus telecast of Nats Padres. Take a listen to this. Chris Young, Friday night on Apple TV Plus during the first plate appearance of Joey Manessis.
1: This is a player, you know, twenty-three at bats in early in your career. Already has, a, already has a nickname. Yeah, Joey Fourbags.
0: I think I got that right. Heard it a few times.
2: That's his nickname now.
0: <laughs> so how about that, Mark? You are infiltrating popular Major League Baseball culture. And Chris Young, I guess he didn't remember where he got the nickname, or maybe he knows precisely from where he got the nickname and just didn't want to credit the source of the nickname. But let us make this loud and clear. The Nats Chat Podcast is where that nickname was born, Joey Fourbags. It's now gone national.
2: Well, Tim better get cracking then on the t shirts before somebody else does. We need first rights on this thing and and uh, copyright that so nobody else Can take it. But uh, yeah, what an honor to have that nickname cited on uh, national TV as it were. I don't know. Is that national TV when it's streaming? I guess so.
0: (laughs) I think now you have to probably say that it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, yeah. yeah, I think you have to say that. I I, You know, there probably are people who wish that that wasn't national TV, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. Join Manessis on Sunday afternoon, two for four with a couple of singles. So there you go. I mean, he keeps hitting and he keeps producing. And these days, not many others are for the Nats. Uh, Maness is in this series playing right field, playing first base. So we continue to see that positional versatility. But you made mention of it. We could be on the verge of some pretty significant Nats news here. So Luis Garcia ended up not playing in each of the final two games of the series due to groin tightness. And it's starting to sound like the shortstop of the future may be the shortstop of the now. C.J. Abrams could be being called up.
2: Yeah, nothing official yet as we tape this uh, late Sunday afternoon, but here, here are the facts. Luis Garcia's missed two straight games with a sore groin, maybe even more than sore. We talked to him afterwards in the clubhouse. He acknowledged that it's still an issue, that it is getting better from where it was a few days ago. And when he's walking around, there's nothing. But he is still concerned about running and also in the field. And obviously, that would be a problem if you're going to be an infielder in the big leagues. You got to be able to do those things. And then Davey Martinez also acknowledged that, you know, if he's not really better and able to play within the next day or two, you can't really afford to carry a guy like that. When you have so little depth as it is on your lineup. So I think they're coming to a point where they're going to have to make a call one way or the other on Garcia putting him in on the, on the IL on Monday. and if he can't, well, then you need somebody to replace him. And in a probably connected scenario, although nobody's fully confirmed that to me, CJ. Abrams was pulled from rochester's lineup before their game on sunday so read between the lines it sounds to me like they're bringing him down here to dc at the very least to be available in case garcia needs to go on the il they do this not that it's not that uncommon to bring somebody up just in case now the difference here is he's a top prospect who they've been saying all along was probably going to be coming up pretty soon once he got his feet wet at AAA. so if he's here even if garcia is fine then that would lead me to believe that they're probably not just going to send C.J. Abrams back to Rochester. I would imagine that he'll be here and probably being activated going along with some other roster move. But I think we're drawing pretty close here to seeing the first of the prospects from the Padres to make his Nationals debut.
0: Nats have a three-game series against the Cubs uh, at Nationals Park Monday through Wednesday. Then comes a six-game trip out west, four games at the Padres, two games at Seattle. So you would think if you're going to Be having C.J. Abrams make his Nats debut. You'd like for that to be at Nats Park, and there's an opportunity for that over these next three games. This would be exciting if the Nats bring him up here over the next, you know, day or two. C.J. Abrams is the number 11 prospect in baseball for Baseball America. He was the number six pick in the 2019 MLB Draft out of a high school in Georgia, and of the five prospects who the Nats got, he's the most highly touted. He's the guy who people seem to look at. Is I don't know if. Having the highest upside is the right way to say it. But as things stand right now, he's viewed as the number one prospect to the Nats Scott, We'll see how things pan out. But, you know, he could be an instant impact guy. I know that he hasn't killed it at the major league level so far, but this would be awfully exciting. And this would be certainly something to be invested in how C.J. Abrams plays the rest of this season if the Nats end up calling him up here.
2: Yeah. From talking to some Padres people over the last few days, because obviously they saw him, they know what he's about. They say the same thing, tons of talent in all facets of the game, but also still pretty raw. Being a young guy was kind of thrown into the fire because of Fernando Tatis's injury at the beginning of the year. And so he ends up playing every day for the Padres, maybe before he was truly ready for that. At this point, you know he's 21 years old, so we're not talking about a guy who's been around for a long time. So there could be some bumps along the way and maybe a little bit raw, but if there's a team that can afford to take a shot at that, I think it is the current Washington Nationals. We've certainly seen them do that with Luis Garcia and others. So it'll be exciting. Whenever it does happen, this is the first you know, real building block for the future that we're going to get a uh, look at. And to me, whatever they can get over these final 46 games this year, whatever we can see of C.J. Abrams. Cade Cavalli, Mackenzie Gore, maybe one or two others before it's all said and done. That's really what a, the remaining last part of the season is going to be about. There's not a whole lot else left to evaluate. We kind of know what we've got everywhere else. So the more they can see of these newer prospects, the better it's going to be and better giving everybody an idea of what we're in for next year.
0: So with the Nats, like we said, bad day offensively on Sunday, shutouts by the Padres, Blake Snell, six scoreless innings, 10 strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, the Nats totaled a mere seven hits, all of which were, wait for it, singles. By the way, I don't know if anyone tracks this. The Nats have got to be amongst the league leaders, if not the league leader, in infield singles. It feels like so many of the Nats' hits this season are infield singles. You know, a grounder that was tough to field and the runner just beat to first base. You had on Sunday, for those of you who watched the game, a Michael Franco infield single that had to be seen to be believed. Bottom of the second, a one-out opposite field single through the right side of the infield. It took this like perfect weirdo bounce and Franco ended up having himself a single on a one-two pitch. Now, the wind of the pitch. Swing and a knuckling line drive. Spinning and gets by the second baseman Drury out into right field. Picked up by a charging Soto. And Franco has himself a base hit. I guess the ball technically made it out of the infield. I can't quite remember, but it was like the weakest single that you'll ever see. And like that is like so typical of the Nats this season. Cesar Hernandez had an infield single. It feels like he's had so many of these this season. That's the Nats offense. Not only don't they homer but even their singles are weekly hit. And I thought we saw that multiple times on Sunday and a bunch in this series overall.
2: (laughs) It's not the cleanest looking stuff that you're getting out of some of these at-bats and some of these hitters. And as we've been saying all along, it's hard to produce any kind of significant rally when that's the way you're going about it. When you're bunting, when you're legging out infield singles, when you're just not hitting the ball in the air, out of the infield. It's tough to do that. They had what that game in Chicago that they won the other day where they scored like six runs on three homers. It's like, yes, that is possible to do that. They just have not been able to consistently do that. And certainly the state of the lineup as it is right now, it's even tougher. But look, Blake Stell was really good. He's been on a good run. This wasn't just some out of nowhere quality start from him. He's been really good here lately. You had this perfect convergence, I think, of a a dominant left-hander in the middle of a great run against a really, really weak lineup. And this was the end result of it. And it was not pretty. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of reasons to be excited about what may be coming from these guys. Maybe you do get Garcia back in the lineup. You get Ruiz back in the lineup. That changes some things. But this was a pretty weak effort all around from the Nationals offensively.
0: Yeah. So seven hits, no walks, 11 strikeouts. (laughs) Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is time for Window Nation's back-to-school sale. And what a sale this is. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. Lower your energy bills. Raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Get an A-plus in savings by taking advantage of the back-to-school sale. Again, Two free windows for every two that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Window Nation knows exactly what it's doing. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed, and Window Nation offers a variety of windows. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Visit WindowNation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you, and ask for the back to school sale, again, buy two windows, get two windows free on any style of new window from Window Nation. Plus, pay nothing until 2025. That's WindowNation.com or 86690Nation. WindowNation.com or 86690Nation, and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent ya.
1: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Bell swings and lines one toward the gap in right center field. On the runners, Robles. He dives. He makes the catch and holds on in right center field.
0: Victor Robles in midair once again. How about the Nats' defense on Sunday afternoon? We know that the defense has been a problem this season. This was one of those games in which the defense really stood out in a variety of ways. So. We had our guy Paolo Espino pitching in this game, and look, we're not going to make excuses for the secret weapon. He has not been that good as a starter. He was good in his previous outing, but you know, since he joined the rotation full-time a few months ago, just things really haven't gone that well. Paulo on Sunday afternoon, four runs in five and two-thirds innings, but I thought that he was better than that line suggested. Uh, he gave up seven hits, two doubles, and five singles. He issued two walks. He had three strikeouts. Uh, he threw 109 pitches in his five and two thirds innings. That is a jaw-dropping number, but he did throw a lot of strikes, 70 strikes versus 39 balls. But there were multiple instances in which you had balls that, you know, maybe weren't easy to be fielded, but were not cleanly fielded. The Nats have been really bad defensively this season. They're dead last in the majors in defensive run saved. And when it comes to converting balls in play into outs, the Nats have been particularly bad in that regard. Defense isn't just about errors. Defense is also about balls that, you know, are hits, but they could have maybe been turned into outs. Do you turn those balls into outs? And the Nats so often do not. And we saw that with Paolo, in addition to multiple egregious defensive mistakes by the Nats on Sunday afternoon. We had the adventures of Victor Robles on Sunday afternoon and all credit to Victor and as is usually the case when he does something bad he also does something good and Victor on Sunday top of the 5th a terrific diving catch in the right center field gap to rob our pal Josh Bell of a hit for the third out but Victor Robles in a Padres one run sixth uh victimized by the sun monster Victor lost a high fly ball in the sun on what ended up being a two out double By Trent Grisham, and then in a painful two run ninth for the Padres, off poor Tyler Clippard, who, man, has not looked very good here over his first two outings since coming back from injury. You had a bad throwing error by Michael Franco. He made a nice stab of a hot shot off the bat of Manny Machado, but then Michael, as he's falling toward third, makes this throw to second base, and the throw was into like the middle of the DC streets and uh, two runs ended up scoring on the play. So rough defensive season for the Nats, rough defensive game on Sunday.
2: There's so many of these, and I've been calling them, you know, just plays not made. Like you said, they're not errors. They're plays that could be made or could not be made. And the Nationals have way too often this year just not made the play. And it's even in sometimes it's just not turning a double play that might get you out of an inning and only getting one out instead of two. It's slow turns of double plays. It's the sloppiness of you know the Luis Garcia play the other night where it looks like he's got a 6-3 double play and he ends up not getting either guy out there's just been so many of those types of things and the problem is when you have a pitching staff especially their starters who are not strikeout artists it just makes it all the tougher and not to change the subject here completely but i have been wondering somewhat when it comes to Patrick Corbin and all his struggles right now i do wonder if you put him on a team that has a really good infield defense if his numbers might look different, maybe not great, but they might look a lot better because he's not a strikeout artist the way he used to be. But the, his infield defense has not helped him at all this year. So, little aside there. But Paolo Espino deserved better. Yes, he did issue two walks that both came back to haunt him. The pitch count was super high. The Potters are just fouling things off left and right. They really worked some long at bats. But if Victor Robles doesn't lose a ball in the sun, and you know, can happen to everybody, to anybody but it does seem like it happens to Victor Robles more than most. If he makes that catch, Palo has a quality start, six innings, three runs. And on this team, that's great. And instead, he ends up departing five and two-thirds innings and four runs. And that's the difference between what these so-called little things can do for you. And maybe it wouldn't have mattered in a game where they weren't hitting themselves anyways, but they very easily could have held the Padres to far fewer than the six runs they scored in this game.
0: Just to put a number on the defensive run save, the Nats came into Sunday dead last by miles in the majors in defensive run save this season at minus 54. And, you know, it's an interesting point you make about Corbin. I've seen that point made, and it actually does help to explain what's happening with Austin Voth with the Orioles. Because if you look at Voth's peripherals with the O's, the peripherals really aren't that different from his time with the Nats. Uh, They are better but it's not like they're so much better to where the results should be as improved as they have been. I mean, Austin Voth has been really good for the O's, as we've discussed. He teased a no hitter on Friday night for those of you who aren't paying attention. Well, not so coincidentally, the O's entered Sunday top 10 in the majors in defensive run save this season. The Nats are dead last. And, you know, this issue of, again, converting balls in play into outs, there's real meaning behind that. And it's not always obvious to the naked eye what bad defense is. Bad defense isn't just an errant throw, just like good defense isn't just a diving catch. You know, if you're taking great routes on balls, you're not having to dive to make catches. And so you make things that are difficult or things that other teams wouldn't make look routine. And the good defensive teams do that. And, I think that's a real issue for the Nats. Think about this, too. How many times this Nats season have you seen hits through the infield past a diving X? I used to make that joke with Alcides Escobar, but he's not the only one. Past a diving, Ildemiro Vargas. Past a diving, Michael Franco. Past a diving, Cesar Hernandez. Track that. Track how many times you see that and ask yourself, hmm is that a play that a fielder with better range, better dexterity, better agility, better athleticism could have made? And so I think that is part of this. I think that is part of Corbin's struggles. I don't think it explains everything, but I do think that that's part of why he has been so bad.
2: Yeah. I'll give you another aspect of this too, that we don't really talk about a lot. And that is hits because of poor positioning. How often have they been shifted and a ball goes right where somebody should be? And I get that, There's a trade-off when you do that, and maybe they are converting some other balls into outs because of it, but Sports Information Solutions keeps track of these things, and they do defensive runs saved based on when you're in a shift and when you're not in a shift, and the Nationals, when not in a shift this year, are at plus four defensive runs saved. You say, well, that's pretty good. That's actually not that great (laughs) when they're not in a shift, and then they're at plus eight when they are in a shift. And that is, looks like about the fourth worst in the league. Like you have other teams that are in the twenties for outs created while in the infield shift. So I feel like anecdotally, there's been a lot of times this year where they're shifted around to one side of the infield and the pitcher makes a pitch that's to the opposite side of the plate. And the guy just hits a weak ground ball right through an empty hole. That's a problem. That's a lack of coordination between the fielders and the pitchers, you're either not pitching to where the shift is and where you the scouting report is, or the scouting report is telling you something different and you're giving away hits essentially with poor positioning or poor pitch execution. And I think that's been a big problem for them this year.
0: Yeah. And when you talk about, you know, analytics and data and information and everyone being on the same page and, you know, this like organizational cohesion maybe that's a function of a lack of those things with this team and either the players aren't on board or maybe the data isn't being properly communicated or maybe the data is faulty maybe the people coming up with these shift plans aren't doing a good enough job i mean we don't know there are things here that we don't know but yeah the defense has been lacking and you know you think about the nats right bad record we get it but like the pitching is among the worst in the majors the home run hitting is among the worst in the majors The fielding is the worst in the majors. The base running is the worst in the majors. I mean, if someone said to you, life on the line, say something nice that's factually true about this Nats team this season in terms of the overall team, like there are individuals we can certainly say nice things about. It's hard, man. The Nats are not just bad in a lot of categories. The Nats are like near the bottom of baseball bad in a lot of key categories. And that's really tough. I mean, usually, even the bad teams do maybe a few things well. There really aren't many things that the Nats do well. And there are a lot of things that they do like league worst. Uh, and that obviously is problematic.
2: Yeah, I would probably say the only two things that come to mind that you could maybe give them credit for doing well bullpen's been good. And the other thing would be that offensively, they make contact, you know? But in this day and age, contact isn't enough. You got to do more than that. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, you're right. It is sometimes you have a really bad team that's just kind of like average to bad in a lot of categories. In this case, they're, like you said, pretty much bottom of the barrel in almost every significant department, aside from a couple of things. And the areas that they have been somewhat good in, it's not nearly enough to make enough difference to make up for all the other problems.
0: And even with the bullpen, and I agree with you, there's been a lot to like with the bullpen the numbers for the bullpen really aren't that great. Now, I think that's a little misleading, but like even that, like something that we sing the praises for, even that doesn't like slap you across the face with how good it's been. It's like, well, if you watch the games, you know that it hasn't been that bad. But if you just go by the numbers, like, no, it actually hasn't been that good. Like there are plenty of bullpens that have been better. Speaking of the bullpen here. So Sunday afternoon, three Nats relievers combined to give up two runs in three into third innings. It was nice to see Victor Arano bounce back from his hideous performance in the game on Friday night. Victor on Sunday afternoon won in a third scoreless innings. was also nice to see the new guy, Jake McGee, toss a perfect top of the eighth with a couple of strikeouts. But we also saw, like I said, Tyler Clifford struggle for a second time in his many appearances since being activated. Remember the Nats on Friday afternoon, activated Clippard off the 15-day injured list. He'd been on that since July 22nd, retroactive to July 19th with a groin strain. Clippard on Friday night did not look good in the top of the eighth in allowing two runs. Gave up a homer, two doubles, a walk, and a hit by pitch. And then Clippard on Sunday afternoon, top of the ninth, allowed two more runs on two singles, two walks, a hit by pitch, and that throwing error by Michael Franco. We love Tyler Clippard. We certainly championed him being called up from AAA Rochester. I don't know. Do we need to write an apology letter to Mike Rizzo? Maybe he knew what he was doing in keeping Clip at Rochester for so long.
2: I will just say this, Al. I have watched a lot of bad innings of baseball this year and, and just really like long, labored, tortured innings of baseball. This might have been the toughest one of them all. and There were a lot of reasons for it, but Tyler Clippard threw 35 pitches in that inning and took a whole lot of time in between those pitches. And the Padres, I mean, he's throwing everything he's got out there up at them, and he can't get anything past them. They're just either fouling him off or putting into play or drawing the walk. And it was difficult to watch. Fan favorite, everybody loves him. And at this point, there's not really, I guess, a whole lot of harm in having him here. But the Tyler Clippard return has not really produced the kind of positive notes and memories that I think everybody was hoping it would. It's been kind of difficult.
0: It's too bad. And the next time you're bored, make a mental list of all of the guys who played for the Nats since the start of last season who ended up retiring the following season, okay? Alex Avila, Jordy Mercer, Gerardo Parra. This year, let's see what happens, but Nelson Cruz, Anibal Sanchez, Tyler Like, Do you notice a trend here? This over-reliance on older guys and guys who are done, they're shot and they end up retiring. Now, you know, like I said, let's see what happens with the guys on this year's team. But like, I don't think that's coincidence that we've had what we've had with this team the last two years. And you've had all of these guys who are like literally at the ends of their lines in terms of their playing careers.
2: I did a story once about all the players whose careers ended as nationals over the years there are a ton of them. And they're for different reasons. Some of them are guys at the tail end of careers that had nice long careers. Some of them are these guys who just get a cup of coffee and then never stick and then they you know, don't ever go anywhere else. But there are a ton of them. And uh, I feel like when we look back, you're going to see over these last couple of years, there's going to be a good amount of them. There, there was a nice gap there from about, oh, 2012, 2019, where there weren't a whole lot of them. Prior to 2012, there were a lot. I feel like there's going to be more of them here recently. If I remember right, the worst season actually was 2006 going way back. And there were 20 players on the 2006 roster who never played in the big leagues again after that year. 20. That was peak Jim Bowden. Throw whoever we've got out there. We're still kind of owned by MLB. You know, Learners not pumping any money in yet. Farm system not in great shape. Yeah, there were 20 players for the 2006 Nationals, who never played in the big leagues again after that season.
0: That is a stunning number. Anyone <laughs> would take the under on that, right? 20? <laughs> like, come on. That's crazy that that was the case. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even mention Ryan Zimmerman, but I don't, I don't even know that it's fair to lump him into all these people because he actually was you know, competent last year and he's an all-time franchise great. But what does it say about the state of you when you have all of these guys headed toward retirement and uh, they're playing for you here? Uh, These last few years. I want to get to this email real quick here because this is something that I've seen brought up by a lot of fans and by people in the media too. It has to do with the Juan Soto situation. You can always email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. This is from Tommy. He says, Could part of the strategy with Soto be that the team is still considering going all in for him when he tests free agency and they are still planning to build the team around him long term? But since they know he is testing free agency anyway, They just decided that they may as well get a hold of prospects now since they will not be competitive anyway in the next couple of years, and they do not want to make the same mistake they did with letting Bryce Harper go. So the basic idea is the plan is trade Soto and then sign him when he becomes a free agent in a few years. And I don't know what your take on this is. My thing is, (laughs) that's not a plan, okay? That's a nice thing to talk about. If it happened, great. I'd, I'd be leading the parade, Okay. But a team building plan, a roster construction plan cannot be, we're going to trade away this great player, and then we're going to sign him in a few years, okay? Like, that's that's what we call pie in the sky. That's what we call who the heck knows. Eight million things could change between now and Juan Soto's free agency. So I get the thinking. I don't think you should close the door on anything, but, but that's not a plan. And if that's the Nats' plan, which I don't think that it is, but if that's the plan, then God help us. But to me, that's not a plan.
2: I would just ask this uh, back, name me a player in Major League Baseball history who has done that, who's been traded away in the manner of this. I know there haven't been made trades like this, but traded away somewhat in this kind of manner and then ultimately decided to resign. Now, there are guys who maybe come back at the end of their careers. We saw Albert Pujols come back to the uh, Cardinals. You You see things like that, but to leave via trade and within a couple of years, as a free agent in the peak of your career to then go back, that part doesn't really add up to me. <laughs> yes, it's possible. Sure, anything's possible. But the Nats have a lot of work to do to convince him to come back at that point. And there's a whole lot of opportunities for Juan Soto between now and then to uh, find something else appealing. And, um, you know, I've not seen it happen. I I'd never say never, but I would not count on that one.
0: Yeah. I mean, LeBron James went back to Cleveland, but that's a different sport and a different environment. And yeah, from an ads perspective, your, your plan, if you're Mike Rizzo and you're trying to sell what you just did to the learners or to the next owners of the ads, you can't say, well, listen, we're going to sign them back in a few years. Okay. That's the plan. That's not a plan. That reminds me of, you know, we quote Seinfeld all the time when George Costanza says, I have a way to get Barry Bonds and Ken Griffey Jr. And it won't cost that much. Like, okay, great. That sounds awesome. You know, like, tell me when that actually happens. Okay, let me know. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, let us know, NatsChatPodcast.com at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast.
1: Anyway, as I was lying in the puddle, I, I think I may have found a way for us to get bonds and Griffey, and we wouldn't have to give up that much. Well, don't tell it to me, George. Tell it to the new assistant of the general manager. I didn't get the job. Well, once you were dead, we couldn't just sit on our hands. We got to make a move.